Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, Sally Hughes and Kate Sevier here. Hi. Hi. Um, Lovely to be back. We've got two great guests today. We've got Rick Samada, who's my uh, fellow Guardian writer, columnist, writer, actor, broadcaster, and author of the new book, How Have Things Got So Out of Hand, which is coming out soon. We're going to be talking to him loads about that. And friends. It's actually called I Never Said I Loved You. How have yeah. I got... Oh, I've just... I don't know. Someone else said that to me. <laughs> I think because that's what it oh, says on the front the of that. Oh, that's the thing. I've been calling it that. It's actually called I Never Said I Loved You, but the cover of my proof <laughs> says how have things got so out of hand. That's not a bad title. Maybe it's not too late. All week I've been thinking that was the name yeah. of the book. It's just A-B testing. We're A-B testing the title. Yeah. Whichever one wins I've got quite an old social. proof, I think. <laughs> um, well, we're off to a fly. <laughs> <laughs> My name's not Rick Samadra, it's Borg. <laughs> it is literally called I Never Said I Loved You. We'll be talking more about it, including naming the actual title later on. Uh, we also have friend of the show and, in fact, very good friend of ours, Sarah Morgan, comedy writer and podcaster. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Um, that was Cruel Summer by Bananarama. I compiled a heatwave playlist just in time for it to become really grey and yeah. muggy and windy and potentially rainy. It looks like it's going to yeah. rain. So you're going to have to indulge my um, musical mismatches. I prepared this in advance, <laughs> assuming that we'd still be basking in I glorious summer. I love this weather. Because you get on the tubing, you see at one end of the carriage a man in shorts, another end someone in a North Face hoodie and just everything in between. Yeah. I know. I thought I might even have to put on tights today and I was quite excited, oh, but sadly it's not to be yeah we have lots of stories coming up as well as talking about rick's book of course um but can we start off with Meghan markle because this is a really huge story this week Meghan markle um has put together the cover of vogue and is guest editor of the september issue um in which i have a piece and um it's very exciting i think because what has happened traditionally is glossy magazines obviously pitch and pitch and lobby and lobby for the kind of desirable female royal to appear on the cover. Once in a while they get the cover and then that's it. They grace mm-hmm. the cover and mm. so on. Meghan Markle responded to, or the Duchess of Sussex, I think the BBC would say, uh, responded by saying, actually, I don't want to be on the cover, but I would like to put some trailblazers on the cover and I would like to focus on women who perhaps would not normally appear on the cover of Vogue. So she has people like Greta Thunberg, Laverne Cox. She has women who are really kind of trying to make changes and the theme of the issue is forces for good. My piece is about forces for good in beauty, people who are changing that. Now, inevitably, as with everything to do with Meghan Markle, there has been an immediate backlash. I don't know if you guys have read this, but of course, need I say, Piers Morgan and Sarah Vine are quite annoyed with Meghan Markle. And there have been various editorials about the fact that she should just know her place... She isn't a proper royal. This is no time for politics. I always think it's funny when climate change comes under (laughs) politics. Like, it's literally the planet. Um, And they're very cross with her, and she's getting a lot of flack for it. Edward Enninful, the editor-in-chief, said to have the country's most influential beacon of change, guest edit British Vogue, has been an honour, a pleasure and a wonderful surprise. People are not satisfied with that. What do we think is going on? Apart from something that we might get to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know on, why they don't like no, it. Mystery. It's just hard to, hard to put hard a finger to see on what's it. going on there. It mm. is hard to see why we don't like the biracial <laughs> princess, Meghan Markle. But, I mean, really, for me, 
I'm afraid it is that simple. Yeah. Th there are so many coded ways of saying that uh -huh. she's not a proper royal. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. yeah. But they're very thinly... Place, that's a lovely thing to say to anyone. <laughs> they're very yeah. thinly disguised, aren't they? You know, she's biracial, she's American, and she has her own life. And those mm. three things are hugely problematic. I yeah, think. I think if it were just the case that she was black, but she did everything else that she was supposed to, and she was quiet, and she curtsied, and played by the rules, then it wouldn't be so much of an issue. There would be less racism. I think also the fact that she's American, and that adds a whole other thing of xenophobia on top of it, and then the fact that she's political, that she is fighting to have privacy for her herself, her husband and her child. I think all of these things combined, she's like the perfect storm for the likes of the Daily Mail and Sarah Vine and mm. Piers Morgan to hate her because she doesn't, you know, shut up. She has opinions. She does things unconventionally. And that's why I fucking love her. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. her. She's but amazing. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a combination of all of those things. And people at the moment feel very free to be racist, misogynist, and xenophobic. Yeah. In short. <laughs> <laughs> she's everything they hate, and she's yeah. at the pinnacle of the establishment, oh, yeah. and you can just see they just hate it. They can't stand it. She's also wildly popular, which yeah. is also a problem. And so um, I recently discovered that she is the most Googled royal. She is the most Googled fashion icon, so people look at what she's wearing mm -hmm. more than any other woman currently in wow. the world, including your kind of Kardashians, your, your yes. sort of mega oh, wow. people. She's wildly popular, and especially with millennials. Mm -hmm. And so when I was writing the book about the Queen, what I kept hearing in kind of hushed tones behind the scenes is the Queen is very, very fond of her. And the reason that the Queen is very fond of her, presumably, is that she has reignited interest. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. in what is, to many, an outmoded, yeah, archaic I mean, establishment. If these people were, could sort of put aside their racism and misogyny for one second, they'd say that actually this is the best thing that's happened to the royal family for decades, and it's going to yeah. reinvigorated interest and support for them. And actually, these are presumably all royalist papers and titles. Yeah, they still be... find something to hate about. I mean, it's, it's the vegan Greg sausage roll. Yeah. You just need something to <laughs> bitch about. It might as well be. But it's so, so short-sighted. I mean, people yeah. actually can love the royal family. She's a woman of these times, and she, yeah. she, she speaks mm -hmm. for people that are young now. Do we think there is a place for royals to talk about things like climate change and trans issues, which she has tacitly by putting these women on the cover? Should royalty be completely impartial or do we think there's a place for that i think that there's the sort of hierarchy to it right so the queen doesn't because she can't mm -hmm. no matter what you want to read into her hats <laughs> and her <laughs> accessories um but i think for megan for harry i think especially for the younger generation they should they can't just speak of things like let's save the rhinoceroses like yes that's all well and good but also there's some bigger things that we could really use your voices and your platform behind. So I think that the more, um, the, the less controversial climate change, I mean, my God, it's, as you said, it's the planet. What is political about this? It's the planet that we all live on. Right, Having their because, voices behind something like that is good. Right, because William and Harry have done a huge amount of work in the mental health yes. area yeah. in raising awareness. How is that less political right. than talking about climate change? The mm. fact that... Like David Attenborough. Like David yeah. Attenborough right. is, yeah. So the fact that climate <laughs> change queen. has been politicised <laughs> by the far right is neither here nor there. It's not really a political issue mm. it, it is exactly what it is it's mm -hmm. it's the state of our planet and so 
I can't help the feeling that her issues are being treated as political because she is female and of colour. Mm. And the, the boys, the young men, are allowed to talk about funding in mental health, mm. are allowed to talk about um, post-traumatic stress disorder from veterans and so on. They're allowed to talk about those things, whereas if she were to talk about the exact same issues, oh, yeah. they would be read as mm -hmm. political. Mm -hmm. Who would you have put on the cover with this very same theme? So she has um, Chimamanda, um, she has uh, the Somali boxer Ramla Ali, she has Jane Fonda, Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister. Who, who would you I have put? I love her choice of not having her own picture on there but having just a mirror. Yeah. That's yeah. badass. That's yeah. really mm. cool. That was like a that's a really cool thing to do. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. you, baby. It's all of you. That's nice. Uh, yeah. I would have added in uh AOC. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, although I lost 2,000 followers a few days ago <laughs> for posting a picture of AOC on my Instagram. Are you Interestingly. Serious? Yes. So Holy um, shit. so <laughs> I so I watched, on the weekend, I watched Knock Down the House, Brilliant. which I really recommend yes. um, to anybody who currently feels hopeless about the state of the world. And also, regardless of your politics, because it's not really about politics, it's about one person deciding that they feel an imperative to be involved in yep. whatever's going on, in what the solutions are, what the questions are being asked. She decided... Um, Alexandria, decided that she wanted to run for Congress despite the fact that she was um, a barmaid. Yeah, literally waitressing, mm. yeah. And had no money and just felt that her community, that she had to serve her community, and it follows her and some other candidates yeah. as they run for Congress in America who, and they're being held up by an organisation that is promoting real people into Congress and it doesn't require them to be Democrats or Republicans or anything else they just have to be real people who yeah. wouldn't otherwise mm. yeah. because Working as we learn people. from the yeah. film the Democratic Party is, is, is sort of riddled with privilege and entitlement yeah. as, yeah. As part of the whole thing is that they don't take corporate or PAC funding they don't take and they can funding. kind of trade they sort of explain and trace the corruption that exists in the current system even with democratic candidates so I thought that was really interesting because it like you learn a damn thing when yeah. you watch it as well because there's lots of stuff that I just forgot I learned all of that stuff in school and I was like oh yeah that's how it yeah works. that is such a huge problem that goes I found it so them. inspiring if yeah. it, you know if anybody just sort of at the moment feels a bit sort of paralyzed and inept about everything and, and depressed and hopeless I just found the notion of a barmaid being able mm. to win a place in Congress. Incredibly inspiring. Anyway, I said this. I didn't mention party politics. I said this on Instagram and I lost 2,000 followers. And who knew I had so many fans <laughs> in the southern states? <laughs> but um, lots of people shouted at me on their way out. And then wow. when I clicked on their profiles, they were all, all Republicans. And what I thought was interesting about that and brought me back to my depression and hopelessness is how much hate there is for somebody who votes differently from you mm -hmm. on either side and we see that on both sides that's yes. not about yeah. just people on the right mm. no. it's as true yeah. Yeah. of I, people on the left yeah we all I, have prejudices I think because we increasingly we just live in these technologically isolated ways now we just we don't really we speak to fewer people and we just we don't see people as people we see them as these abstracted political identities mm. and sometimes when I walk down I go to my supermarket and I walk, walk down these aisles and I see people of every age and nationality and I think hey, you're just people like you're not these mm -hmm. ideas I have in my head that I have to pitch myself against or side with you're just we can have an honest interaction I think that's something that we're we're really missing nowadays. And by and large, when you do get talking to people who vote differently from you, actually most of your values align, I find, yeah. generally. Yeah. There's so much that you... have extreme 
activists on each side, but most people's values align. Yeah, they care about health and schools and their families and... Yeah. yeah, so much that you agree on. I know I, that, I think that's a thing and people think of like, ooh, Catholics or ooh, Republicans or Southerners. Like, oh, well, I have family I mean, in the, the South. If anybody <laughs> could make me turn to God, it's atheists. But it's like you think of these people as the, so separate from you and these sort of, oh, these bad groups of people, oh, Tories, you know. Mm. But then you go, oh, wait, my grandparents, are they good people? Yes, they're good people. Do they say... Um, bad things sometimes yeah they did but are they good people do they have well do do they just not understand a few things are these like people that you should be demonizing oh wait actually no yeah like uh, I had the same feeling when I was talking to some some of my friends and like my friends were very young and cool and they don't believe in God like you were saying Mm, and and I was thinking about how oh I mean I don't believe in God no no, well me either (laughs) I really struggle with that but but then I was thinking about my my ex's um, family were all quite religious and, and I was speaking to people that I know that work with homeless and they're all a lot of them do it from this religious conviction mm-hmm. and they're actually in the world helping people doing good and all of my sort of cool ironic progressive friends don't really do that much they just have yeah. the right opinions I'm yeah. like, tweet about the thing. yeah I'm like, like yeah it's like who's actually it? doing more good <laughs> in the world here it mm-hmm. might be some that you don't actually agree with on a lot of things but they're doing things for the right reason and they're they're getting involved yeah uh, and it was there was never a truer illustration of you know people shouting at me about having posted a picture of her. They all ran away, and then somebody came in and said, "What do you think of Boris Johnson?" And I said, "Oh, I think he's loathsome." And then somebody else said, "Well, obviously you have to vote Jeremy Corbyn." And I said, "Oh no, I don't no. feel I have anyone to vote for at the moment." And then she started having a go at me about Jeremy Corbyn. And it's like, and it was a really stark illustration yeah. mm. of where we are yeah. that people are furious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. If you're not going to vote the same way. Yeah. I wish I knew who to vote for. Frankly. Right. Wouldn't it be great if someone like got their shit together and could, you know. Where's our AAC? Yeah, Please. where's ours? Right? <laughs> God. You're Obama. She'd like to announce <laughs> that. <laughs> I've had way too much sex and taken drugs, so let's not put me in politics. It would all come crashing I mean, around I, me. I, I, I believe the bar I is quite low now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, well. You're overqualified. <laughs> you may not have quite enough. Quite tame yeah. in comparison, yeah. really. Yes. <laughs> But back uh, away from the race issue, which is clearly a really big part of the backlash against Meghan Markle, whether these sort of commentators um, care to admit it, there's also such an inherent sexism in it because Mm. essentially what these columns are saying is that they would prefer a woman to just be pretty on the cover of a magazine and have nothing Mm. to say whatsoever. And so there's more honour in being Catherine Middleton who appeared on the cover of Vogue and actually is involved in loads of really good work, but nonetheless she did the old school route of being on the cover of Vogue, that there's more honour in being very pretty in a nice outfit Mm. than there is in trying to start a conversation. I find that quite troubling. Princess is meant to be pretty and looked at and have their hair brushed by... Seagulls? What is it? Disney <laughs> cutting? I use seagulls. Oh, yeah. Dinglehopper. It's yeah, a fork. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not supposed to. Yeah, ha- have opinions. <laughs> seagulls. No. Seagulls. I agree. I... Blue and it went. It's <laughs> the like... opposite kind of bird. Yeah, don't. That's a horror Great white film. sharks. Yeah. You can do, do your eyeliner. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the whole seen and not and not heard thing. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. I mean that hatred that that Sarah Vine column. Like I don't want to necessarily give it more airtime, but it was so infuriating. Just the the sort of seething jealousy behind it and the the sort of 
really condescending tone of, oh, bless, let me explain to you what the mm. royal family is. I know you're American, so you don't get it, but let me tell you, you are to shut up and you are just to pose. And to explaining what Vogue is and what the September, I was like, are you serious? <laughs> she knows. Like, she yeah. I definitely think Meghan Markle knows more about what Vogue is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? It's like, For honey, sure. no. Um, yeah, it's... It's insane. I feel like everyone forgets about Princess Diana. They're like, well, mm. she's gone crazy with this pro privacy thing. It's like, gosh, I wonder why that might be. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't that long ago. It's literally would have been her mother-in-law. Like, yeah. it's... Who, yeah. uh, also, who at that time was the only establishment AIDS activist mm -hmm. in the world, mm -hmm. um, and so this is not unprecedented. Mm. No, you know, going going into these areas, and again, AIDS not a political issue, no. political yeah. work to be done within it, but a health crisis, mm -hmm. just mm. as a climate crisis is a universal um, issue that we should be able to talk about. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Do we think this is going to? make the palace have words or do we think she will rethink her strategy or do you think that she's going to plough on? I think she's going to plough on. She'll plough on. Yeah, I think that she has the backing and the support of the establishment, the the palace. I feel like, especially if the queen, oh, the queen likes has her, no you know. Give, yeah. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, whatever, Megs. Also, you're not going to mess, are you, with no. what the queen's thinking? No, so I don't, I don't think that... I feel like, again, this is a whole media campaign fueled by some really racist figureheads <laughs> to sort of derail or make her um, unpopular or demonize her. I just don't think it's going to work. I think she's just going to keep plowing on and doing her thing. And if she has the backing from the right people, which it appears that she does. Well, and an mm. entire generation yeah. of content consumers. That's mm -hmm. something hugely popular with young but people. Also, she genuinely cares about the things she's talking about. With the people who are criticizing her, your Piers Morgans and such, they, every week they're like apoplectically mm. upset about like Scrabble adding <laughs> woke to the dictionary or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need to Google that to know that probably yeah. was a cop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he probably ate one out of average and then yeah. spat it in a bin. Like, yeah. uh, There's so, also quite a strong vibe of I, I wanted to be her friend and she didn't want to exactly. be my friend. Oh. The yeah. envy and the jealousy underneath all yeah. of that yeah. is wild. It's like, go to therapy, mate. Yeah. Like, you can work this out. Level of rage against something you don't actually care about. Whereas yeah. she actually clearly genuinely cares. So she yeah. Yeah. the stamina of it. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. she also represents a, a sort of a fundamental kind of antidote to what those people seem to want, which is, wasn't it great in the 50s? Yeah. Mm. She, but she's a biracial feminist yeah. career woman in the most important establishment part of British mm. establishment. Yeah. That's so subversive and modern and represents a modern Britain that actually these people apparently don't want, are no. rejecting, are rejecting through their politics, yeah. through their writing. And she's so confident and self-empowered and she, she's joined this establishment where she's going to be herself. And she's not, she, I remember when she, uh, when she married and everyone thought, oh, we've, we've lost one of these leading um, voices of women of colour and progressives and it's yeah. such a sad thing. And yeah. no, not a bit of it. She's going to shake up the establishment, not the other, they're not going to quash her. Yeah. We like Megan then. We I think. love her. Let's put a record on and when we come back we'll talk some more.
That was Long Hot Summer, of course, by the Star Council. Still here with my co-host Kate Sevier, comedy writer Sarah Morgan and author and journalist Rick Zamada, writer of I Never Said I Loved You. See, I just got that right that time. I managed to spectacularly (laughs) mess it up at the top of the show. Um, Quite a dark story now, but a fascinating one, I think. So it's a great piece, um, Double Hander in the Guardian by Anna Moore and Coco Khan. Um, and it's called The Fatal, Hateful Rise of Choking During Sex. It's a, it's a good long read and it's about the sexual trend uh, for men attempting to choke women during sex as though it's a kind of, you know, it's a standard move mm. that one might try out without it explicitly being sought. Which if you watch a lot of porn, it is a standard move in porn and therefore that's where people learn this stuff. And yeah. Right. Mm. And so, so on the one hand, there's the kind of, you know, mainstream concern that I suppose it's like the new anal sex it's like it's like a it's like a subversive transgressional Mm, thing that is now Mm. entering the mainstream and it's just part of your portfolio there's that but there are also grave repercussions in that women have actually died um in this country um it is not recognized in law consent for fatal physical violence is not recognized in law and so if somebody um if so, for example, if a woman dies as a result of choking during sex, it is meant to not be a defence if the defence says that she consented to it, asked for it and so on. However, what the uh, legal records show is that if that is used as a defence, it doesn't affect guilt or innocence, but it does seem to affect sentencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we talked, we talked on the show last year about the so-called rough sex killing of Natalie Connolly, who... Um, was killed at the hands of her millionaire partner. Mm, I mean, I don't know why that would be significant. That he's Weird. a millionaire. Uh, John Broadhurst, 40. Um, despite the fact that she had 40 separate injuries, including serious internal trauma, a fractured eye socket and bleach on her face, um, he received a sentence of three years, eight months for manslaughter. And apparently consent uh, was used in the defence there. And there had been apparently many other incidences that weren't admissible in court. So so this yeah. was not a first offence, if you like. And so, Sarah, you mentioned the porn um, connection, which, which must surely, surely be a big yeah. part of this. I think I, I, you mentioned anal as well. I think yeah. these are things that if you're in the most sort of vanilla free porn search engines or, you know, the, the, the way kids will access porn, they don't go behind paywalls and get bespoke feminist you know <laughs> lovely porn they get artisan. The, nasty, the artisan <laughs> stuff that's made consensually with with um, yes. actors who seem to be enjoying themselves mm-hmm. the stuff you pay for yeah they the, the the sort of stuff that kids consume is the free stuff you get by going on these aggregated porn sites and yeah, yeah it's choking and anal are a standard they're they're just the the sort of they're, they're not they're not considered to be a niche at all they're just a part of how kids learn about sex, I guess. And so, so, so choking is yeah. is not a fetish in mm. porn. It's just a move. It's just a move. Yeah. There's a well. It's a, I don't know how graphic you can get, but it's certainly something considered that yeah, women getting a hand around the throat is much. She's she's really enjoying it, it because that's the kind of 
standard porn move. It's, I mean, uh, it's a really complicated area, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because kinks and yeah, fetishes do exist. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. want to yeah, shame like, anyone. Clearly, if it shouldn't be the only thing that you see in um, heterosexual lovemaking. <laughs> like exactly. I mean, kinks and fetishes do exist, and it's perfectly reasonable for somebody to be turned on by the mm-hmm. idea of being choking. Yes, if, that's... if you went to a porn <laughs> aggregate site and typed that in because that was what you were into, then, then, then good for you. But, uh, you know, but, but... It, do, it does strike me as, yes, a specialism. Yes. A, you know, <laughs> a, a very specific kink it's not mm. i don't mm. think it could be considered well not by me nana to be mainstream <laughs> <laughs> to be You're mainstream <laughs> to be to be mainstream sex yeah. yeah but there are all sorts of things i think that porn has made mainstream that are, that are really troubling and you know i remember a friend of mine caught her uh, teenage boy watching porn and was really upset by it because she then had to sit him down and explain porn isn't like it was when we were kids, when mm. you would gather round at a party and basically watch some people shagging on a kind of crap VHS tape. Mm. It, it now <laughs> comes with so much other stuff that mm. would be dangerous to expect There's just in a sexual encounter. So many layers to it. It's like even just the bodies that you see. Are, I mean, like, well, this this well, teenager had never seen pubic hair, for example. N- well, yes, because mm. where is it? Yeah, <laughs> like nobody has it anymore in these in films. Is that the right videos? Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> videos. Um, yeah, in the t- I mean, the breasts, the bodies, just the teeny tiny labias, just like everything is just so not your average woman or how your average man looks and or how things and are performed. And where ejaculation occurs, for where example. Where ejaculation <laughs> yeah. occurs. Yeah. Yes, and indeed. And how women orgasm and how Exactly. What noises yeah. they make. Yeah. Like, there's just a whole range of things that are, um, I don't want to say wrong, but if that is your only it's exposure. Move. It's yes. one yeah. type of thing, yeah. which is what you get if you get it free, which is how people consume mm-hmm. pornography. And it's weird that the way of actually opening up people's experiences of what bodies look like and how mm. people have sex and consensual yeah. lovemaking is to pay for pornography, which is not something people are going to go around doing for their kids necessarily in this day and age. And it opens up, it opens up this gulf between what you're what you teach yourself to get turned on by and, sort well, yes. of, and, yes. and what, you're, what you're going to experience yes. when you yes. go to bed with a woman yep. and yes. what, what, what they're going to enjoy and yep. what's going to be intimate. It must be, really, and it I, must be hard really to navigate tough that. For kids, like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, you know, I don't want to be an advocate for obviously these pieces of shit men who are uh, killing women in the most mm-hmm. kind of grotesque manner. But s- separately from that, I am the mother of sons and... I worry about them feeling like they have to engage in things in order to be the guy who knows how to do sex, you know? I think that must play into it. And this is what broke my heart the most in the piece. This is um, a a woman named Amber, not her real name's account. Uh, She was first choked during sex in 2012 in Dublin. She'd met this guy. Um, He grazed his hand on my neck again. I didn't think anything of it. Then he started to squeeze. The choking wasn't firm enough to cause her much discomfort, but she says, quote, I wanted to be attractive to him. So I just thought, okay, this is what gets him off. I'll let him. She'd just come out of a long-term relationship, so she kind of didn't know the rules. Quote, so I figured this must be how people have sex now. And from the accounts in this article, it's astounding because so many women have had instances where 
go on a Tinder date. Mm -hmm. And then this happens. And I don't know if it was this piece or a piece that this article linked out to. But there was a discussion with um, a heterosexual couple. And the boy was like, yeah, this is what this is what we do. It's part of it. She likes it. I like it. And then actually came back to the interviewer a few weeks later and was like, actually, I sat down and talked to my girlfriend about this. And she doesn't like it. She thought that I liked it. Mm -hmm. So that's why she was pretending essentially that that she liked it so i think the communication is such a huge part of this as long as we think of communication as unsexy it means there's gonna be all these misunderstandings about i'm doing this because i think she likes it or she's doing it because she thinks that's what i want but and it's just all these these i mean it's literally everything in sex isn't it communication yeah Yeah. and and relationships generally it's the beginning and end of Mm. everything but the bit that we don't think of there's such a safety issue here in that when I first saw the headline, before I'd read the piece, I just saw the headline on Twitter. My immediate reaction was, <laughs> I'd like to see someone try and choke me doing sex and think I'd be into it. And then, of course, well, they've got their hand on my throat. What, what am I yeah. going to do? You know, yeah. if, you're in, if you're in a situation where you are kind of incapacitated by a man who's presumably going to be stronger than you with his hand around your throat, actually, what are you going to do if you say no and they say yes? Uh. Yeah. yeah, it's gross. It's distressing. The, 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 it's, it's weirdly been making me think a lot about the, uh, the, the stuff that happened with Quentin Tarantino on film sets that we've all sort of found out about recently and why I've been really putting off going to see the new film. And so what is that for anybody who so doesn't know that story? It, it was, it, 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 a lot of the Me Too stuff was coming out about how Uma Thurman wrote that uh, mm. amazing... It did an amazing interview about how she'd been sort of mistreated on the set of Kill Bill. Now, she obviously... Has made peace with that and considers it to be part of her art, and is making a new Kill Bill film apparently. So it's like this, that is not her story in particular, but he does seem to. As a this one clip came out that just absolutely stuck with me to the point where it's the first thing that pops into my mind before I think about going to see the new Tarantino film. So it's not a choice like I'm not going to go and see it. It's just that I just can't stop thinking about this thing, which is on the set of Inglorious Bastards, uh, his war film, there's a scene where uh, Diane Kruger's character gets choked and spat on, and there's a rushes footage of this, of, and the person choking and spitting on her is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, so that's very odd. to do it for realism, because he wanted it to look realistic, because in a film where Hitler gets melted at the end, obviously... I'm pretty sure that's what happened. You couldn't do some choking with CGI, you couldn't do the eyes going red. Yeah. She couldn't act... She couldn't yeah. act so, like she was being choked. She had to literally be choked till her eyes went bloodshot by the director of the film. No one else couldn't trust anyone else to do it. That And obviously, that actress consented to that, and there was a whole film crew watching it. But you just think, what point do we get to where women feel like they're part of making some kind of art, being part of making art by consenting to this thing? But it's clearly a guy on some kind of mad power uh, trip. Also, how true is that consent? If Quentin Tarantino is standing over you, <laughs> yeah. you have a career, you can't be the pain-in-the-ass woman who lost a day's filming because you yeah. were sulking about being choked there well, are so many mitigating factors aren't there or compromising yeah. factors in that consent I, I love yeah. Quentin Tarantino but that is the thought the flashing I watch Jackie Brown a million times but I don't want to I just think I don't want to fund that anymore like yeah. that's that's someone going power mad but but it's but it's difficult isn't it I mean mm-hmm. we we've talked a lot about this in the past about about kinks because mm. I'm personally of the opinion hey if, if everyone's happy with it mm. yeah mm. exactly fine. crack even, on do what you like I really Dan don't Savage care says don't choke 
it's, yeah. people die from it you know so sarah's a, referring to dan savage of the savage Lovecast, who we love very very much show, yeah. but yes it's true because pretty much anything goes with dan savage but he yeah. is not keen on people dying <laughs> yeah. on people dying yeah. and so do you think it's right <clears throat> that consent is irrelevant with bodily harm in a court of law Theoretically, uh, although people seem to be getting yeah, lighter sentences. Seems the, the, there seems to be a lot of this. I've not read this article and it's, it's really eye-opening and disturbing as hell. And, but I, yes, it seems a lot of these. this was used as a kind of... Uh, she liked it, she was into it. This is the language we all hear, she was asking for it. And that doesn't seem to hold up as soon as you look at the kind of injuries these women were actually sustaining. So and they were very much given as excuses, I think. Yeah, yeah. and if they're dead, who is yeah. the person confirming consent? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The person who is on trial for murder or manslaughter? Like, I, mm. Unless they have like a signed thing being like, yes, I like to be choked yeah. during sex. I don't necessarily know how they can confirm. Well, I also think for a defence lawyer, it has a handy byproduct that line of defence, because it just lets everybody know that she was a bit of a slag. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so she, she liked rough sex, or she, she was into kinks, or she had fetishes, and therefore we can pop her in a category over mm. here that probably means she meant less to her family. She'll be missed less. Yeah, well, I mean, the family's not going to ask any further questions at that point, mm. are they? And find out stuff that they might not necessarily want to know about uh, someone they care yeah. about. Like that's yeah. yeah. And the it other the other interesting thing is that this article points out that predominantly this happens with women. Women are the ones to die from being strangled, of course. not reverse. So if mm. it's such a kinky thing that you know both men and women just really love, mm. why is it always the woman? Yeah. This is being why choked? I'm a huge believer in um, kink forums. Pop mm. everyone together who's into mm. it. Yeah, <laughs> let them find each other. Let them hook up. Yeah, that's all fine. Yeah. I'm I'm very pro niche kinks that's great i want people to find their tribe and to find their people that's wonderful Mm, but the thought of that kind of leaking out through sort of mainstream porn and my kids if it comes a standard with yeah a a, a hand job in a in a in a you know five minute clip on Pornhub is gross yeah yeah do you feel that men again i'm the mum of sons so i do fret about young men do you think that men feel under more pressure now to turn up with the moves that it's not it's no longer a case of well let's fumble our way through it'll basically be fine i know the basics do you feel like men now have to come with a kind of arsenal of speaking as a very young man (laughs) and on behalf of all men men. if you would if you would rick um i think well there's a couple of things that men are already traditionally quite bad at communication which is exactly what we're talking about the need for a really clear communication plus Men don't talk about sex in an honest way amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. Plus, they're the majority porn users, so they're getting these strange, sort of warped ideas mm-hmm. about sex. And then when they encounter it, I think there's a sort of perfect storm of just no idea how to approach it, mm-hmm. how to be respectful, how to even turn themselves on a lot of the time. They don't know what they like, let alone what mm-hmm. a woman likes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of... What was the question? <laughs> I just I worry that men feel like they have to turn up with a little bag of tricks, you know, yeah. a, a sort of a, you know a metaphorical yeah. one that they have to turn well, up with the moves, and I, I've yeah. got this. I think it's a defence thing because sex is terrifying for men right. as well as yes. women, and obviously the ramifications for women are a lot worse. But it is a scary thing to be that vulnerable, and so you do try and think, oh, if I pick up this move, or I remember when I was young, I used to read like FHM chat up lines. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's quite funny. Maybe that's yeah. what women want to hear. Yeah. I mean, Realized it's just quickly, another it version not. of snogging a mirror, isn't it? When you're yeah. like 11 or something. So, yeah, I guess it's this kind of pantomime where you're trying on all these weird things yeah. that don't 
feel right, but you yeah. don't know what's, what feeling right feels like. So mm-hmm. you're thinking maybe this is it. And yeah, I think people probably do try a lot of things that they're not actually into just yeah. to just try and unlock this and mystery. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it comes back to that understanding of self and your own desire and then the ability mm. to communicate that with somebody else while you're naked like my yeah. god like it's a minefield <laughs> like, especially yeah. if kids are having sex younger it, you don't have the sort of maturity or yeah. you know capability to be able to do that it's hard for adults and yeah yes and and the key thing about kinks is that it's a controlled environment that's the yes. whole that's the whole mm. basis of bdsm isn't it that it's mm. controlled and that there are rules. a safe yeah, word yeah. Is so irresponsible on that yeah. front where it's great that women are reading erotica and learning more about themselves and their needs and stuff but the, the whole thing is based on her not really having any control or consent. Yeah. <laughs> so like sign yeah. this document that means you're my slave <laughs> and then i'll use really faulty equipment on you it's all about yeah. buying like rope from garden centers and stuff isn't it? it's like no all of this is Terrible. Yes, when in fact that whole community is based on a code yeah. of conduct, conduct and etiquette. And, she's not yeah. to use it. Oh. What? <laughs> like there's a, the whole, um, I, we may have watched the film Fifty Shades of Grey Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. This is this is all wrong. Is there a less sexy environment than a garden centre? <laughs> I'm trying to think I mean, of one. I think she would. Does she work in a garden centre or a B and Q or something? And he comes in and buys the some wicks. rope. And already I'm like, no. <laughs> No, no get your rope from somewhere nice. Go to Hansom and yeah. just buy yourself a little fluffy cuff starter <laughs> kit. I don't know. I was asked to go on the radio to review the first book when it came out. And I was like, yeah, 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 send it to me. And um, it came, I read it. And then they called up to arrange. I was like, I don't think I have any words. <laughs> <laughs> I think you better get no. someone else. I don't have any words. It's legitimately an appalling, appalling piece of writing. Wildly irresponsible. Irresponsible. And the films are astonishingly bad. Oh. Did she think that was sexy? Mm. Maybe she's into that, but it's. It, like, oh. it's what does not... a horse think about that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm, st- I'm just. Oh right. I could genuinely I'm do. Stunned. <laughs> Just logistically, that's a nightmare. I could genuinely do a whole show on the Fifty Shades Sorry. films and books. They are unbelievable I've never read them. garbage. They really yeah. are. Tell me, I'll put a record now. on instead. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, Seasons Waiting on You by Future Islands. We're literally on air. They're just laughing amongst (laughs) themselves. (laughs) That was um, Rick Samada and Sarah Morgan just yakking amongst themselves. Sorry. Um, and obviously book. Kate Severe. <laughs> I was being quiet and good. She was. Thanks. Kate Severe, who's what I here every do. month, was being quiet and good. Thank you. Shiny apple on my desk from Kate. Yes. Um, I want to talk about Rick's book. It is called I Never Said I Loved You. It is out on the 8th yes. of August, so quite imminently. Um, Rick, before we talk about it in more depth, tell us what we can expect from the book. How did the idea come about? And where does the scene start... The book starts with quite a sort of unlikely scene in my head. (laughs) (laughs) The book starts on the morning of my 30th birthday uh, when I woke up and found myself in bed in a sex hotel in Bangkok with my mother. Lot to unpack there. We'll definitely come back to that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's a book about my experience of depression, which has been a lifelong experience. And uh, I wanted to, I guess in writing, I wanted to reclaim 
so much of my life I feel like has been lost to depression. I feel like these years have been stolen from me. I wondered if it was possible to make something, make some use of all that, that lost time and those lost connections and, and try and write something that felt beautiful and hopeful and uplifting, but still was raw and truthful as, as truthful as, as I could be about depression and, and what a sort of thief it is. Um, so I really just, I wanted to put to, for, put from a personal point of view, I wanted to put a lot of my own demons to bed and sort of make my peace with my past. And in a broader sense, I wanted to, I guess, connect to people that have this condition as well and um, and don't know how to find language for it and, if, and feel crushed by it and oppressed by it. And I wanted to touch those people and say, you know, it's no matter what, I guess, yeah, that, oh, that old thing of you're not alone. It's such a common thing. And I think it's a very magnanimous thing to do, but also quite a risky thing to do. Um, I think I'm right in saying and not betraying any confidences that everyone here has um, suffered from depression um, mm -hmm. to quite a debilitating degree at one time or another. Mm -hmm. And... It's quite daunting to express feelings you don't really want to revisit in one way mm. and to decide to revisit them in the hope that you can sort of sew them into a new a new outfit, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, I actually... Um, my publishers are so good, they gave me a year to write it and by the end of the year I'd written two chapters. Because you're a journalist. You must never give a journalist a year to write it. Yes, <laughs> hopeless. But I just <laughs> thought I can't actually do it because I was trying to do it in this way that was sort of quite light but wasn't really the full truth as I knew it mm. I wanted it to be sort of packageable and sort of yeah. a fun read but I didn't really want to tell the truth but but I also it knew that it's so funny like it's such a funny it's, it is really Thank funny you. it's really it funny it carves your heart out with how funny oh. it is where you just get blindsided by the most beautiful it's the footnotes <laughs> <laughs> oh thank uh, you but yeah so I wanted to I wanted to keep that sense of joy and lightness but I did I knew I, re I realised after a year I couldn't write this without confronting the parts of myself that I was genuinely just ashamed of. Were you um, slightly writing it in that if anyone ever finds my diary way, where you're kind of you're finessing things to make a, a, a sort of palatable read rather than exposing yourself? No, not really. I was um, there's so much in it. I was terrified of particularly my mother, but also mm -hmm. there's things in it that I haven't told my closest friends. Yeah. And yeah. Like experiences of trauma and stuff that I've never talked about apart from with partners you know yeah. it's, it's the stuff that's most guarded and I thought I just I literally had to say, to say to myself I can't write this honestly without writing about that but I can't think about what the effect will be or other people reading it it's a totally separate I'll cross that bridge when I come to it and maybe and, it won't and did happen. you worry about the effect it would have on you to actually write it because I would be worried mm -hmm. that it would put me yeah, into a depression yeah. yeah I think writing a book of any sort is just really mentally stressful <laughs> it's horrible I don't know how anyone does it <laughs> I don't know how I did it. I was just going absolutely, yeah, I was, felt like I was going mad. It, I think by the end I was, I moved back into my mum's house and I had to stop working because I couldn't handle both these yeah. sort of mindsets. And I was getting up in the morning, I was writing as, until I couldn't see anymore and I was going to bed and dreaming dreamless sleep and getting up and doing it again in like 25-minute bursts. And I felt so disconnected from the world, which is just part and parcel of writing a book, and so in my own darkness and yet... Realizing I had to make something from it that was also yeah. for people and was like and was art and was, you know, had a, some beauty to it. Of a brief to give yourself. <laughs> well, yeah. I sort of I couldn't. Yeah, it was. I don't know how I survived it. To be honest, yeah. when it you like when you dying. reached that year and you went, cool. I have two chapters and they're not necessarily the most honest things that I've written. How, as a writer, did you 
get into that space because that's kind of interesting because that's kind of mirrored in one of your chapters where you talk about going to to drama school and how you had to push through and some of those exercises to really expose everything that was Mm. going on underneath the surface so how did you do that then for this book when you were writing it when you had already hit your deadline and been like well shit (laughs) well I felt a strange sense of responsibility because I know I've been very lucky I came to sort of writing and sort of having a profile of whatever sort quite late and I've known what it is to have no voice and feel completely invisible yeah and now that that's not quite my situation now I felt not everyone gets a chance to tell their story and I've been given this chance I have to do it properly and I have to do it truthfully so there was that and there was also the sense that I don't know about you but what we when I read something that's where someone's really risked something Mm -hmm. that's when you're most touched because they've been brave enough to sort of show that to you Mm -hmm. And you can tell it costs them, but they want that connection is more important. And so I thought, I can't be safe. I can't shield myself or sort of evade things. I have to just go through this pain. And hopefully and that, that will speak to people. so evident. I think that there's a quote on the front that says, this is the bravest book I've ever read. And same. It, I don't think I've ever read something that mirrors so closely to what uh, a lot of my own personal experiences have been or the way one thinks of themselves in terms of uh, self-hatred. I think that you really, really went there and were so brutally honest and with yourself. I think that was the thing that really came across is that you were being honest with yourself and then putting that on the page which was it's it's beautiful and gut-wrenching and so so funny at the same time um <laughs> the, the bravery of it as well yeah as you will agree. absolutely not afraid to just drop a joke in the middle <laughs> yeah. of something that is that you're absolutely in, you're like in crying the and then you're <laughs> laughing well, yeah the, foot, the footnotes oh my god oh that's so nice to hear well, <laughs> the, yeah well i wanted to sort of capture life and life is mm. to me inescapably well, really, tragic but also it's it's confusing and it's funny and it's absurd and I wanted to capture all of those things and not just talk about one aspect, even though that was the main focus. Yeah. I wanted to sort of capture that feeling of life, which is everything all at once and too much. So how have you now, now that it's it's out there in, in the world soon, mm. um, how did you then kind of uh, manage this with your family and your friends knowing that your guts are in this book? And all that sort of darkness and lighter is is in this. How did you sort of, uh, did you sit down and talk to them about it? Or did you just kind of go, here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, my mum, who's my only sort of close surviving family in this country, um, I was most scared of her reading of course, it. Of yeah. stuff that We're all the most and, scared of our mums. You know, <laughs> but you don't want your... She's all, such a great character in the book. She's an amazing like person, it. yeah. Everyone keeps wanting to meet my mum now. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I wrote the book. It's <laughs> like that <laughs> meeting about me. me. Yeah. <laughs> Just get this clear. Don't get it twisted. Um, but actually, she's like a brilliant work of fiction, though. If she yeah. was in a novel, I would think, what a brilliant character. Oh, yeah. and she's an actual person. Yeah, which yeah she is an extraordinary woman. And, and actually me telling her about some of the contents of the book are in the end of the book. So that's sort of that was kind of the end of the journey for me in some ways um so that was sort of extraordinary and cathartic and was really like this letting go of like so many decades of secrecy and like shame so that was huge for me um but also amongst my male friends it was interesting because there's things that we don't you don't really talk about you talk about in a certain way that's not really mm-hmm. fully honest and there are things they didn't know and um one of them called me up and we've never really had a, an emotional conversation before and he just said it's made me really think about my own masculinity and my attitude to emotions and 
how to be a better friend and all this sort of amazing stuff. And I was like, oh, wow. I, I, it sort of took real bravery for him to, to call, yeah. to call Very much and say so. that. So yeah. it felt like it deepened our relationship. So already feels sort of worth it for those reasons. But I'm scared about people on a broader scale. I want them to read it, but I'm worried what about it, it. What are you fearful of? Um, being hounded out of town with pitchforks. Yeah. <laughs> but you're going to have to spend the next year or so just doing people telling you hey they loved it and then probably telling you their stuff and then, and then yeah, yeah and, it's lovely yeah, it's to be told people's on. stuff isn't yeah. it though because yeah. it's such it, it's such a, a privileged position to be mm. in to find that people want to tell you stuff and yeah. that you have kind of you've unscrewed the cap on the bottle that's quite I mean it's a huge responsibility of course but and not that you can really think about that, but what a privilege that people are, are, are coming to. Anything that gets men talking, I think that's what I took from it. Men just don't really talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Joel Golby's book and yep. this book together makes me, and all the stuff that kind of um, Professor Green is doing and Jordan from Rizzle Kicks and those guys, I just feel like a movement is growing yeah. of men actually just mm. saying how they feel about stuff and when they feel conflicted, when they feel shame. Yeah, I and think all so. of those things. It's, it still seems relatively new, but there does seem to be a momentum there. I think so. And yeah, I think it's a new generation of sort of younger men that are, that feel less shame and are less conflicted about being honest. And I think that can only be good for the entire culture. Mm. Um, I hope so. Yeah, because so many of all, basically, all our problems are caused by men. <laughs> we know it. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we, we didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> 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 Really? I hadn't noticed. She's giggling into my needle point. (laughs) (laughs) Into my nosegay. (laughs) (laughs) But it's Uh, mad, isn't it? It is true. It's all men at the heart of all of these things. (laughs) (laughs) But you have this, uh, but although. uh, for the reasons described, this feels like a very uh, male book, not necessarily for men. It feels very universal in terms mm. of the kind of mental ill health and, and how we feel about ourselves. But actually one of the most, well, the very important figure that you talked about is, is your mum. Can you tell us more about your mum? Give people a teaser about what to expect from your mother because she is this kind of extraordinary figure. Oh, she's she's extraordinary. She's very small. She's less than five foot tall. And she again, no objection for me there. I'm, <laughs> I'm very much in favour of where this is going. <laughs> like tiny all the best mums. women, yeah, <laughs> tiny mums, powerful mums. Um, she's a well, she's just got this insatiable curiosity about life, and every year she teaches herself a new skill. So every time I go around, there's like Nirvana guitar tabs out on the table, <laughs> or like she's invented a new kind of pudding where she's like piled together like custard and jelly beans into a bowl and she sort of mixed it all up or she's trying yeah. she's trying to use a millinery or she's getting into Italian literature or street art and I'm like you're gonna get arrested <laughs> in your mid-70s now slow down um but she's also um had this extraordinary life where she grew up in in India and um she had to raise her own siblings and there were sort of hard times but she's she came over to this country and now and my father died a few years ago and I really worried that that, that it would sort of destroy her and she'd sort mm. of wither away and I was so worried about her and actually she's really taught me how to deal with it. Well, actually, she took you to a sex hotel. <laughs> your father, actually, she took your father to a had died at that point, hadn't he? He'd, yeah. he'd, he'd been dead a couple of years yeah. and it was your birthday and your mother had received her citizenship, that's right, isn't it? Yes. And had taken you far, far away on this extraordinary trip. 
and that and that's that's where the scene is set. And so, sex hotel, how, what? Um, well, that was it was a special trip for my thirtieth birthday because I'd um, yeah, I'd been depressed for quite a number of. I was in well, quite a major depression at that point, and I'd moved home and I'd stopped working and I'd broken up with my partner. And I was turning thirty, which has its own mm-hmm. awful attendant pressures. And so she just took, she decided to take me on this trip and just sort of dislocate me and take me to the other side of the world and take me scuba diving and show me Thailand and kind of this amazing sort of round the world trip. And for most of it, it was just awful because I got really, she loves to travel. She'll like, I mean, on this trip, we went to Australia first and we went to... It sounded very intense. It was so intense. And we just, we were on a... You're doing things constantly. Every day we're like traveling to Sydney, to Perth, to Cairns, to Melbourne. We'll take, spend a day in Alice Springs, which is like the middle of the universe. And then we'll come back out again. We'll go to... (laughs) We'll go and eat alligator and on some, and it's just mad. And I was it just reads going, like one of those clicker things yeah. that you you, <laughs> yeah. you see sort of different tourist attractions. <laughs> yeah. It's quite frantic, and isn't it? While in the pit of a depression, like your, your skin is sort of coming off your body. Yes, swim with the dolphins. I felt, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's my. I was like two pages into the book, and you just got you're talking about like things people do meant to do before they're thirty and stuff, and you didn't say swim with dolphins. You said inconveniencing. <laughs> 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 Poor the weary dolphins. I know. We don't know how they feel about it. Some fat Floridian trying to ride them. What do the dolphins do when they're thirty? Do you think they go and (laughs) come to Leicester Square? They get as far away from people as possible. They go to the M and M store. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I had this horrible sort of time in Australia. I was just miserable. My my ex partner called me up, told me our dog had died, who I loved. I was like, I'm so far from home. I can't do anything. Uh, and then we went to Thailand. Um, I mean, there's a whole family story I won't go into, but basically some promises about accommodation were made, which were not kept. <laughs> so sure. we had nowhere to live. <laughs> and we'd spent all of our money because she'd been duped at a hotel buffet breakfast. No. Where, so it's one of these posh hotels where they've got, like, everything. You can have food from around the world. And But she didn't want anything. She doesn't eat much. So she just took, like, half a bowl of rice and took it up to the front. And it was one of those buffets where you actually just pay a huge amount of money yeah, and you get to yeah. eat everything and yeah. like, people just it's like an all-inclusive exactly, day yeah. yeah but she didn't understand that so we we spent all the cash money we had on like half a bowl of oh, rice no. in a posh hotel and then we got to thailand had no money left and no accommodation so we had to just book what we could which was this what we found out was a sex hotel when we realized that the people didn't want her to go up to the room with me and there were condoms on the on the pillow and the the uh, the bathroom door was a see-through slat. I was like, oh, God, this is the worst. <laughs> Why? How is the my stuff life of got dreams. to this point? The hotel, everything's covered in cling film. Yes. Suspiciously. That whole sort of wipe-down really vibe is not a... <laughs> It's a wipe a down one. holiday is never yeah. what you're after, is it? Really? With yes. your mum, one night but, <laughs> yes. more so, than enough, absolutely more than enough. <laughs> so it was a very low point, but on that particular morning, so I woke up. Oh, it was Christmas Day. I should mention that's my birthday. So it was a, oh. we're in a Buddhist country, so no one was celebrating yeah. Christmas. It was my thirtieth birthday. I was in a sex hotel with my mum in the one bed. I was like, I mean, that'll right. make you take stock. Yeah, I would think. it's been and a good then, innings, but I think yeah, I've been having a crisis before. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly yeah. would then, but. But actually, it turned out to be this incredible, life-changing moment because we there was nothing else to do except sort of sit there and just talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's I think about communication. I'd never really spoken about her childhood. I didn't know what it was like for her mm. in her life. And, yeah. and I was able to be a bit more honest about things that I was worried about and how I felt about how things were going or not going in my life. And again, that sort of deepened our relationship, just that, that honesty. And I mean, it's still a work in progress, of course, but that felt like a real change in my life where I was like, 
Mm. Actually, talking about things is good. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's good um, yes, which ultimately led to this book many years later. The, 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 the direct lying and the lying through omission that goes on in families is mm. utterly toxic and true of pretty much every family. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think we, we've probably all experienced that and everyone we know has experienced that. And just having the opportunity to get some of them out there, the, the pressure that that releases Absolutely. and the intimacy that fosters is, yeah. is extraordinary. And yet so few of us do it and so few of us have the opportunity to do it. But it proves life-changing for you in the, to have those, those hours and, and that holiday. Yeah, that letter yeah. that you wrote to, it was your great-grandmother? Oh, I think yeah. it's in the first chapter. And that, that whole conversation with your mum I think you were shopping at like Christmas, <laughs> trying to find out about your great grandmother. That mm. uh, was extraordinary, really, because I think that as you were saying, there are so many families who just have. We all, if we think about the secrets that we carry just within ourselves, and then the secrets that our great grandmother has and our mother had, one hundred percent. Yeah, and such so that the, the when you're talking about how your grandmother being depressed and saying we think about depression as a first world problem and she was a woman in India with dying children mm. no money and, and was still very clearly depressed and it's an illness it's like mm. it's such a it's, we think of all our problems as things that have not existed in the world that yeah. Yeah. we're encountering yeah. them yeah. and like we can't talk to anyone because no one yeah. knows and actually they just run throughout history and it's, yeah. it's such a sort of comforting but also painful truth when you realize that it's also a very important part i think for lots of people of a mental ill health journey to realize that there is um, an element of hereditary Mm. disposition Mm. um, that has gone on and again that can be troubling or comforting but one definitely benefits from knowing it i think in some way that, that you know many families have addiction or psychosis or schizophrenia or depression running through them and because what is very different about your grandmother's generation is of course they felt it but one wouldn't discuss it there was no word for it no word yeah Yeah, language is yeah how um how are things for you now with regards to this book is almost out in the world. You're sat here talking about it on the radio. Uh, there was one particular part uh, in the book that really struck me when you were, um, after you had told your mom about your childhood trauma and you said that you were getting like flashbacks and starting to sort of remember things. And that sort of, that's happened to me in just through therapy. I get these weird sort of like flashback memory things like the light will be a certain way and it'll remind me of a childhood holiday visiting my grandparents. Like mm. how has like stirring up all that stuff in your subconscious and writing it and having it out in the world how do you kind of feel now talking about it with people and having some of your most sort of darkest times just being here in print and something that you know that people are connecting with but you have to talk about it and for years it was just kind of locked away I mean it is quite it's weird yeah yeah it's like stuff that you've kept like in a well Mm -hmm. and then boarded up the well yeah and now it's just like been raised and it's open and then people are just like bringing their kids and it's it's a paddling pool of your feelings yeah but but also it's just a well there's not wasn't anything you weren't keeping it it was yeah just the well was there um it is strange i think that's why it was important to me to keep a sense that i wasn't just identified with my pain so i wanted Mm. to keep my sense of humor in it and Mm -hmm. sense of joy and and curiosity and keep all those things so people could see a whole picture yeah so i thought i didn't want to be just be identified as this 
sad man who's a bit less sad. <laughs> probably still quite I was sad, sad and yeah. no, I was like, a little bit less. We're, yeah. yeah, we're all so irredeemably complex and kind of sad and joyful. And I yeah. want to sort of, yeah, capture that sense of completeness and share that with people. It's, incre- it's incredibly sadness. risky, I think, to, to write about mental health, which is why which is why you've done so well to do it in the way you have, because it, you don't want to be the depressed dude. You know, yeah. you're a writer who's happening, who happens to write about your life and your experiences. But you don't want to be, you don't want that to be the thing that defines mm. you. Whether mm. you're a writer or not, nobody wants to be defined by their mental ill health. But they're so inextricably linked, your identity yeah. and your mental ill health. If it's chronic enough or it's, you know, it's prevalent enough, you can't, you no. can't separate the two. Yeah. And I think what this book sort of represents for me is this sort of next wave and new way of talking about mental health. Yeah, I think, I think that so. people are like, mental health. Yes. Talk about it. Go to therapy. Yay. And then there's that kind of next layer of okay, but it doesn't just go away. Like, mm. you can't just have influencers being like, I was depressed, and then I started doing yoga and, like, meditating, and, like, now I'm so fine. I eat plants. Like, that's yeah. not yeah. that's not real. Mental health does not have a start point and an end point. It's a, yeah. it's a journey, exactly. and it gets better, and sometimes it gets exactly. worse, yeah. and sometimes the journey of getting better makes you feel a lot worse. Like, yeah. like exactly. therapy should be nicer, but it's, like, not, you know? <laughs> exactly. And in, in writing this book, you've kind of cleared... Uh, loads of stuff off the shelves but it's not as though you've now got a lovely empty room mm. to make pretty it's all on the yeah, bloody floor yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need to just kind of try and reorder it and put well, it back it's not a self-help book and there's so many no. books written about depression and yeah. I always feel like I don't have to read them like I've got a note from my mum saying I don't I don't have to it's fine I don't want to it's alright I don't want to read I don't, it's good but this was just like yeah. this is a really funny interesting great book uh, with a, a narrator who you just want to hear more and more from telling yes. you some really interesting stories shot through the prism of, uh, of, of, of uh, this illness but it's like it's so much more than like a depression a book about it. it's not a yeah, self-help it's not book that. it's, it's not. literally your story uh, which is it's such a great which is why it's so powerful and okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm reading it so slowly I'm like I'm nibbling <laughs> so away it. I keep stopping and then having to have a big think about things yeah. I've just read it's like oh. a Wonka bar I'm just like, like gnawing a block like, of Char- cheese yeah like Charlie Bucket with a Wonka bar <laughs> yeah, cheese, cheese that makes you cry I'm just, I'm, 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 this, this is, I'm just holding up my phone this is all the little bits I've just cut and pasted out of it I've probably just done the whole book now this is oh all just little bits and I was just like oh god that's beautiful oh god that's lovely oh I need to go back and think about that and it's just the whole book oh. really I've just put your whole book yeah, I mean, that's the thing yeah, is that if this were a shit book, I could have <laughs> plowed through it by now. But like genuinely, I think we're yeah. all still reading it because it's mm. it's not something that you just want to like blow through and scan and be like, all right, cool. Now I can ask him a question about this thing. Like I genuinely wanted to read it. And I'm so I usually listen to books on Audible mm. and hey, Audible. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this, I'm so glad that I just could take my time and didn't get distracted by you know, walking the dog or whatever else I could really just kind of digest it because I think it deserves that. And I think that when people bear their souls like this, it deserves to be digested properly and to kind mm. of think about and connect with. Um, so thank that's, you really. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. I, do, I really, that means a lot to me because I didn't, I knew people would, when you're writing about mental health, you sort of assume that people are going to be saying, Oh, it's, well done, pat on the back. It's very brave. That was so brave. No, I didn't yeah, but I, <laughs> but I wanted. It's really I want, important. Not really. <laughs> I, but I wanted to make something beautiful because that's what yes, makes me feel is, better. Yes, it is beautiful. Yeah, creating it is. beautiful things, and I really yeah. wanted to do it properly. 
also it just has to be a good read. Emotional nakedness, I'm afraid, mm. is just not enough to keep me no. occupied. We've talked about this before. In, in writing, there's been a real trend in recent mm. years to just kind of be confessional. Yeah. Yeah. And just that's the point of, of your writing. Pain, yeah. You're super confessional. It's, yeah. you know, Emotional a misery memoir. It's all, yes. you know, whether mm. it's, oh, I wet myself at a party, how embarrassing and shameful, <laughs> or, whether it's, or whether it's awful traumatic yeah. tales of child abuse or whatever. And as much as those experiences are valid, you want people to read you. Mm. And unless something is readable and gripping and entertaining, and I would even say funny because... Yeah. I'm not interested in reading about mental health unless it's funny because mm. mental ill yeah. health is funny and I speak it's to somebody who's exactly. been mentally oh, yeah. unwell on yes. several... Yeah. It it's funny. ridiculous. It's, it's absurd, like it's yeah. funny. Yeah. Could, could, could I read a little bit, that, just a quote that I just absolutely love when you're saying like whether you're allowed to even admit that you have depression and it's just a line that I just think is so beautiful and you said, perspective helps but suffering is suffering. There's more than enough to go around. I had confused mi misery with a packet of Rolos worried I might take the last one. <laughs> 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 like, are you not not allowed to say you're depressed because, mm. yes, <laughs> because other people have it worse than you. Like, yeah, am so I really depressed? Beautiful I don't know. way of putting it. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, the, the 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 relative trauma is a yeah. terrible mm -hmm. is a terrible um, trap to get stuck in, mm. isn't it? That, that yeah. nothing is relative in that way. Mm. You know, your your missing leg is no less traumatic because somebody else died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you You've lost a leg, it's bad. Yeah. 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 You yeah. can be an Indian grandmother with dying children and also have depression. They, yes. They, mm -hmm. yeah. yes, they are, yeah. I remember I, I, talking of things being funny and, and the language we use. I suppose I don't feel very reverent about mental health, I mm. suppose. Well, I don't yeah. feel a reverence yeah. for mental health um, because... I sort of, I don't really find it worthy of respect having been there. You know, I'm happy to take the piss out of it. But I did an event at um, a literary festival a couple of years ago um, about depression, um, specifically postnatal depression. And I referred to myself as having been mental, being completely mm. mental. And um, another person on the panel got really cross with me for saying mm. I was mental. You can't say like, that. I was mental. Yeah. I literally was. Mm. Only I was in my head. And I mm. was mental. And that is the language that I choose to use about how I felt at the time. Mm -hmm. And there are so... I mean, Sarah knew me then. There are so many stories <laughs> from that. There are so many fully mental stories from that time when I was really, really, really depressed. It wasn't my first bout with depression, but um, my father had died. I'd lost a parent and became a parent in 12 weeks. Sure. And, um, I, and I was innings. mental. That's crazy, Sally. <laughs> I was completely mental. I think you're allowed to own the word mental if you're using it mm. to describe yourself. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That was my truth. I was completely mad. Mm. And I remember um, saying to my um, then husband, I remember telling him very, very matter-of-factly as I was chopping vegetables that I was going to um, get a job in Starbucks and I was going to become a barista um, on Upper Street in Islington. I said, I'm going to go to Islington tomorrow. We lived in Hackney. I said, and I'm going to apply for a job as a barista. And I remember him just sort of looking at me and me just, yes, no, this is what I'm doing. I've decided. And he was like, but you hate people. And I said, no, no, it'll be fine. I'll just make the coffee. And he said, uh, I don't hate people, but I know why he said it. Um, I said, no, no, I'll just make the coffee. And oh, so he just went, and he said, but you're the, he looked at me and he went, get a job. okay then, but you are also the features director <laughs> of the face. <laughs> 
was like, oh. yeah. yeah. As also someone who, no, but the barista thing. I just <laughs> As really someone think who has been gonna... a Starbucks barista um, <laughs> and also hates people, it's not a good. <laughs> I thought that's the first requirement. Is it? <laughs> yeah, but, but he was just sort of listing reasons that yeah. were that were completely <laughs> straightforward reasons as to why I couldn't possibly do, do you this. Why I had a newborn like... baby. I was the features director of the face. Yeah, and I, I, I had worked in the service industry years before in retail for many years and had sworn never again. All of these reasons, mm. he was just yeah. listening to me. I was like, no, but this is what but, I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the only thing sort of stopping yeah. me from taking turning the knife on myself, frankly. Yeah. It was, yeah. I was nuts. Disorder yeah. thinking can be so yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Mad, everyone else. Another What's friend of mine you? had postnatal depression and decided, as she was completely deranged, as she describes herself, decided that she was going to buy a load of oil paints and she was going to paint a mural of the Four Seasons <laughs> in her garden when she was in the kind of depths of postnatal depression struggling to breastfeed this child she was going to paint the four seasons huge a huge kind of mural in the garden and kind of bought the paints and canvases she bought four canvases for her garden and then just sort of looked at it and burst into tears yeah I remember as a very depressed teenager the thing that I did which is so sad is that every night I had one of those do you remember those little TVs that would have the the tape player the VHS it was just like all yes, in the one combi deal. thing. Yeah. I have one of those in my bedroom, and I would just pop in the VHS of Girl Interrupted and just watch that every night before I went to sleep. Totes normal. <laughs> totally fine. Not a cry if I help at all. Like, oh, am I watching this again and holding the book in my hand I really while I watch it? So weird. I'm totally fine. I hate that this. That I have no funny depression stories because my depression is always so. Boring. Well, they're often only funny <laughs> afterwards. That's yeah, the well, thing. Is, they're really awful at the time. Why the book made me so cross in a good way is because I'm a writer and I can't write about depression. I find it really difficult. It's like describing a dream or an acid trip right? it's just boring and yeah. it's like I yeah. can't get and it I back was sad. in the head and, I, and was I was sad and I lay very still and I cried and I didn't yes no, and, and, and then you and then you did and I was like angry I was saying to you before we were recording I was so cross with you that you'd written so beautifully because for me it's just like this horrible illness it's a bit like dysentery or something where it's like for well, three days I was on the toilet <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I was better and you're just like oh beautiful prose about that, yeah. so that's not how it beautiful prose about self-harm which is I very hard are you able to get anything are you able to get anything onto a document or onto a piece of paper while depressed or does mm. everything have to be with the benefit of hindsight um no not really no i think because i basically depre- can get in the shower the, like, yeah, yeah it's the absence of energy mm. creativity curiosity yeah. self-belief all of those things mm. that make the words go on the page it's the opposite so no you need that no that distance, i feel the same know. yeah do you recognize it and sort of take yourself out for a break and then go back into I, writing do you know when it's coming kind of thing um not just for writing with my mm. life and i'm feeling particularly mm. shit about myself or mm. how things are going i'm like Okay, I've been not been sleeping very well since the heat wave, so I know that's going to have mm-hmm. an effect, even mm-hmm. though, or I've, you know, this thing hasn't happened, so there's like a professionally this I've had this mm-hmm. knockback, so there's there's probably a setback that's not permanent, but I just try and reason things out to myself, yeah. because I know that I can't really trust how I'm feeling all the time. Mm. But it's mad to hear you say that thing about mm. how you couldn't you can't express your own depression like that because yeah. I felt exactly the same. I'm like everyone else has these great stories. <laughs> and I have nothing. I just have this thing that's like, man, I've been half alive for, like, mm. for mm. most of my life. And I felt like I can't, I can't write about it because there's nothing there. And then, I just and then you it. wrote about the absence. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think not knowing, um, not trusting your thoughts about things and having to overrule your thoughts is such a huge obstacle, to, but an important one to overcome. Mm. Instinctively, 
if left to my own devices, I would never leave the house. For right. example, oh yeah, I like yeah. being in bed. I like watching TV. I like curling mm-hmm. up with a book. Yes. I wouldn't actually go out. Yeah, girl. But mm. I know that if I don't go out, I will become incredibly depressed quite quickly. Yep. Yeah. And so I have to overrule my natural inclination, which is to stay in bed all day watching TV or reading yes. books or, yeah. or whatever. Same. And very often you can anticipate a downturn in your mental health because you realise you haven't moved around enough. Yeah, it's when Netflix goes, are you still watching? And you go, (laughs) television goes, hey, you have, this has been on for like 14 hours. You have finished Netflix. (laughs) Watching season four of Drag Race again. (laughs) Season four of Drag Race or bad season four of Drag Race? Your watch is telling you you've made four steps all day. Uh, Yeah, no, you look at your steps and it's not even about keeping physically well. For me, it's more... I know if I don't move, yeah. then bad times in yeah. coming. I'm the same. I have that inclination to just cut off from people and be mm. alone and be mm-hmm. in my head and, and watch TV and not. And I, I fantasise about making enough money that I never have to work and I don't have to answer <laughs> oh, emails. Oh, yeah, I'm like, right. That's the best fantasy. Yeah, as soon as I get even like three days of that in a row, I'm like, I am mad now. I don't know yeah. if I exist yes, or ex- what I'm for. It, exactly. And it's a bit like um, disordered eating in that mm-hmm. people who have, for example, anorexia and don't eat enough. Okay, well, that's a form of mental Ill health, but also being hungry then becomes a form of mental Ill health mm-hmm. because you're deranged, you haven't eaten. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so your disordered behaviour and thinking can make mm. you ill in a whole other way that means it's yeah. no longer possible to fix the other thing. Yes. And so you have to kind of anticipate this is such a huge yes, part to, of it yeah. is understanding. I think this is how therapy is so useful because it just helps you go aware of your own bullshit yeah. in that mm-hmm. sense. Right. Like yeah. my inclinations, I too would just love to sit in front of that television yeah. and, and walk around with my headphones in all day listening to podcasts. So I don't have to think so I can mm-hmm. hear other people's stories so I can be inspired and just consume stuff without actually having to do anything or move myself. And it, I've only recently like onto this, like, like, oh, interest. Oh, that's okay. Right. Have you done yoga? Have you meditated? Mm-hmm. I know I made fun of that earlier, but I do that to take oh, care no, of myself. Whatever it's, gets you through. It's, yeah. you the, know? it's the cliche, isn't it? Like, yeah. oh, it's awful when someone says go for a run when you're depressed. And you're it like, really is. You. But, you know, running is really good for depression. You know yeah. where it, like, but super is. That's the thing. It's not the <laughs> running you hate. It's the cliche you hate. Yeah, it's exactly. yeah. But it is yeah, true. Like, and also, yeah. don't tell me what to do. Also, don't tell me what to do. You know, all you need to do is go for a bit of a run. But yeah, you're right. You this is the conversation with yeah. my other, husband yeah. all the time. Yeah. He's like, "Do you want to go to the gym?" I'm like, "How dare yeah. you!" Yeah. It's happening yeah. inside me right now. Who's amazing quote was it? Is it Oscar Wilde or Noel Coward or, or it might even be somebody else altogether? He says, I, "The reason I work so hard is because I know how lazy I am. Yeah. That's why oh, I work yeah. wow. because my yes. my, my yes. inclination." is to just Inner sit in show. bed. And so I work too much. That's what, because I know that I can't be trusted. That's mm-hmm. so crazy. To... You seem so extroverted and connected yeah. and engaged with the world. Yeah. To, to have you still think, got that part of I you. think it's because I know... I mean, also, I like money. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Money's really also, handy. Money is good. Sweet um, money. Money's good for my mental health. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Being unemployed, not good for my mental health. Oh, so I do. So th- there are lots of reasons, but, but I think I do work against my natural inclination because I know that ultimately... It's not good for me, and when I've indulged it, it hasn't. It yes. hasn't been good for me. Yeah. And that kind of understanding about yourself, where you have to just go. Actually, I don't trust you on this. I'm mm-hmm. going to go with the majority on this. The majority yeah. of people think I should go out of the house once yeah. in a while. 
I thought you were about the majority in your head. Like, right. I don't trust this side of me. I trust this side. <laughs> no, sometimes I just sometimes I just <laughs> trust mainstream public popular belief mm. that it's good to leave the house. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with this one today, even though I don't feel because it. Because how yeah. is it serving me? My instinct. How does that serve me? Not so. There's a um, well. there's a great article that recently went up on Refinery Twenty Nine. It's called uh, "Is this self care or self sabotage?" Mm. Which is exactly. I will yeah. do that. I'll be like, I mm. deserve to watch five more episodes of this show. Yeah. for my self care. It was very time. interesting. Just eat this cheese. <laughs> yeah, and actually, that is literally my self sabotage. Yeah. Is is doing that? Yeah. Like, what my self care actually is is getting my ass to the gym. That yeah. is actual mm. self care not just laying still and trying to avoid my feelings you know that's mm. that's indulgence and that self-sabotage not caring for myself it, it was very interesting that piece because it's it's very true that whole take a moment for you mm. you deserve Actually, it let's it all for your you. friends down all yeah. the time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just constantly <laughs> saying no it's fine there's such a difference yeah. between someone going I'm genuine I'm just, I just can't I've, done, I've overbooked myself I've got to take the night off oh my god that's and then and someone just not ending up and then mm. go, it was just a self care day babes yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and not self care to not <laughs> and it's that exact thing that you were talking about when you like for me there was a birthday party that we recently went to that all day I was so anxious about. I was so anxious to go to this. Oh, yeah. I was so anxious about it. You and then you yeah. Yeah. This is the first time hearing about it. You were there. Just sit spit out. Everyone but Rick was there. By all means, tell us about the birthday party. That's how in her head Sarah Morgan is. That's how prone to defensiveness and paranoia Sarah is that she's forgotten that she was literally at the party. But it's that self-sabotaging thing going, like, you're you're anxious, maybe you just shouldn't go. And instead I was like, no, I'm going. And I went and I had a wonderful time. Like, yeah, it was fun. And Right? So it's just, ugh, brains. It's brains allowing so it. My, my husband always talks about this because he had an anxiety disorder for years and years and years. Really debilitating, awful anxiety disorder. And, uh, and his big breakthrough was finally being able to accommodate it. Mm. Accommodate it, accept that it was in mm. the room. Mm. Um, like, I think he, he refers to it as kind of like an asthma attack. Yeah, yeah. It, or cystitis is it, my go-to just, metaphor. It's just, oh. you've got to look after it. Look after yeah. yourself, yeah. get over it. And then, it's, yeah. But it's not going anywhere. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's no. here, it's part of me. It doesn't get to control me or decide mm-hmm. things for me and I'm allowed to tell it it's wrong. Mm-hmm. However... I have to accommodate it. It's just part of the room. Yeah, that whole language around battling it and this idea that you can Mm. win. Battling depression. No, it doesn't. It just gets bigger. I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert, who I recently heard describing it like, okay, if you have fear on this creative journey, you can let fear in the car. Fear can sit in the backseat and you go, okay, you don't get to say where we're going or how fast this car is driving. You can scream the whole way. But you're going. You're you're welcome. But you mm. know you're not in charge here, and that I think is a really interesting way of thinking about fear and anxiety. Yeah. It's exactly well. that. That can be so tough to get to that point though, <laughs> right? where you we say we're getting I'm in the car there, anyway. Well, yeah. You have to know that it's not what's actually going on in the world. It's your perception. It's your yes. anxiety. It's your insecurity. Whatever. That, but rather yeah. than going like this is an early warning sign that something terrible is going to happen in my life. It's actually you no. Know, this is an early warning sign that something isn't right in my brain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My early warning system is. Yeah. Is a, bit malfunctioning yeah yes. and listen mm. learning to listen to your anxiety as well there's so many things like in, i listen to a lot of podcasts and they're like i don't drink caffeine because it makes it worse this 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 and it's all about battling like you said mm. and like trying mm. to squash it and make it go away and actually sometimes anxiety is really useful for signaling to you that something is not quite right like what is this actually yeah. trying 
to tell me. And that's not always the case if you have an extreme mm-hmm. um, anxiety disorder. But I think from like at least for myself, like I go, mm. oh right, the universe what am is I tapping me on the shoulder, one hundred percent. Like what's what's going on? What is actually this trying to tell me? I mean, yeah. there are th- those cliches about caffeine. I- they're actually true for lots yep. of people, not for all people, but for lots of people. Yep. I saw, um, I recently saw a very good friend of mine who has written extensively about uh, depression and mental ill health. She's um, a writer, and I bumped into her the other day at a book launch. I was so delighted to see her. Uh, she's moved out of London, haven't seen her in a while. Anyway, she said that she has uh, given up drinking, mm. and she stopped. she stopped drinking just over a year ago and feels much, much better. And... I said, you know, was there a moment? Was it becoming a problem? And she said, no, I'm, I'm a lovely drunk. I'm really happy. I just can't cope with kicking the next month in the arse afterwards. Right. And, the, and she loves drinking. She loves getting drunk or drinking moderately in the fun time she has when drinking. But she knows that the next month, possibly mm. beyond, will just be terrible. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and so she has had to sacrifice that thing that's fun and jolly yeah. and enjoyable because she has to prioritise her longer-term mental yeah. health. And um, and inevitably, she said, people around her have, have found it quite difficult, have said, oh, we used to have so much fun when mm-hmm. we used to go out drinking. That's a whole but, thing, yeah, especially I mean, in this anxiety. country. Yeah, like, like, Of yeah. course. Yeah, the drinking yeah. culture is particularly... I think you find more people with bigger platforms like Brandy Gordon talking about quitting drinking, quitting drugs, maybe quitting smoking, and there's all this, yay, good for you. But then you know when they're at the pub or if they're at a birthday party, the whole system is kind of against you in those situations. There's always other people. Usually the the sort of decision to do something yourself maybe isn't that hard. It's just dealing Mm. with everyone else's reactions. I think as well... Regarding what Rick was saying earlier about about communication, I think very often an outward life change, like not drinking, mm. is the first anyone's heard of anything. I think, mm. you, you yeah, know, so somebody true. says, I'm not drinking, so everybody thinks, oh, were you an alcoholic? Because, you know, mm. it's the first they've heard that there was any kind of issue. Yeah. And we spend so long pretending to be fine and then we make a little lifestyle tweak and that's the thing that people notice because mm. that yeah. suddenly you don't have a drink in your hand never mind that all sorts has been going on in your head for mm. yeah. for many years yeah I, totally mm. i think the drinking thing is huge as well like for so do many you people. yeah i'm like i love what you're saying about how when you go to an event a you've got people's expectations but also like i don't i don't really drink that much for these, these exact reasons but when i go to an event i'm like what do you have that's non-alcoholic they're like <laughs> yeah. I guess we could sort of slop out the bins and like, <laughs> a mint on that. You're like, you've got like 15 type choices of yeah. alcohol and like yeah. one elderflower. There does seem to be a big shift in the non-alcohol lagers yes. now. I know loads of my friends, and, and and I've never got it because I don't feel the societal pressure to drink one or the other, but I mm. absolutely understand why men, some men, some women I guess, mm-hmm. but yeah. men in particular they seem to be aimed at, standing in a pub with a bottle in your hand that looks yes. like a bottle of Bex, yeah. suddenly you're you're in the zone where you used to be and you're not opening yourself up to all these questions and stuff. And I can totally get it. It yeah, seems a big, I love big it. shift. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Pint fantastic. and nanny state seems to yeah. really, yeah... Yeah, millennials punk, millennials are drinking less. Of course, I'm always quite uh, dubious about this. There are lots and lots of think pieces recently about why millennials are drinking less. My fear with all of them is that I feel like they're talking about millennials that aren't from where I come from. They're kind of North London middle-class millennials <laughs> who have enough to do if they don't drink. But where I come from, and that's all you do. That's all there is. Yep. You drink mm. and, and you smoke fags or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But there is there is... 
because we're talking about affluent millennials, there is a, an economic fear with breweries and booze mm. companies that alternatives have to be sought. Yeah, I mean that's the very it's a very cynical way of looking at it. Of course, there's a niche market, but there's a niche market for millennials and for I guess middle-aged men who yeah. want to still look like they're having a drink and they want the taste of a yeah. beer and the social function of a beer without ordering it, a, little or, a little orange juice like Phil Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> they don't necessarily. Yeah. So yeah. where where are you at now? It seems like you've kind of made your peace with the fact that this is just part of who you are and this will dip in and out. You will dip in and out mm. of these kind of thoughts and feelings the rest of your life. But it does feel like there, there was a shift in you in deciding to write this book um, and get it all down. Yeah. Um, well, actually, interestingly, so we talked about earlier that thing about accepting that I have depression mm. and naming it and, not, and lifting that shame. But by the end of the book, I sort of arrived at this really different place where I realized that to pathologize it and to medicalize it actually, for me, wasn't empowering. And I think absolutely for many people, it really is. And just saying, I have this condition and this is, it, this is why I feel like this, that's so empowering for them. But for me, it felt like a sort of sentence and I didn't want that so I yeah now I've just changed the way I relate to it and letting it into the car and being <laughs> like this is part of me but it all, there may be some benefits that I'm not aware of it's just something mm. I have to manage and um yeah just accepting it and not sort of fetishizing it or romanticizing yes. it mm. or blaming it just accepting it and then yeah. opening myself up to what else is going on with me I think it um, it, it seems so normal to me do you know what I, I, I am freaked out when people haven't been in therapy or they, yeah, have, or they haven't had, I mean, bless you if you've never struggled with any sort of mental illness or, you know, with your mental health. But I, I think that a lot of what we've been talking about today, that's a normal experience yet yeah. because of I mean, so many different factors and film and what's in books that, that doesn't ever mention that. Mm. And it's the sort of outward facing lie where no one has any demons or yeah. sad ever or angry or had something happen to them as a child like we've all had shit yeah. happen that's that what life is it's gonna 100 so yes people some people may lose their leg or some people may die but suffering is suffering as you say in the book and i think just having more honest accounts of this is what my life has been like and my mental health is something that I have to nurture every single day and not to wang on about Elizabeth Gilbert, but I think she's recently <laughs> in, a, in a talk I saw her at, she said, my first thought every day when I wake up is, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have to do that. She said, I spend the majority yeah. of my day managing my mental health. That takes up a lot of time. And I felt so relieved to hear someone say that because it's like, mm. yeah, it yeah. just it's a it's a thing. It's not just a fucking face mask yeah. on a Sunday, right? I yeah. I I feel the same as you. I don't. I am not empowered. I fully recognise that language is crucial, as you do for other people. But I don't feel empowered by that either, and and I certainly don't feel it as an identity because I just think no, mental ill health is too common to be anyone's identity right. because everyone's yeah. different, right? It's like watching Game of Thrones. You know, what, guys? I really like pizza, and I'm got it's it's like saying that the women of London identify as a Zara dress. Yeah. 
it, it, it's too, it's, it's so too... reductive and flattening. It's like <gasps> yes, it, it, it is. But within that, you have every conceivable variant in personality that mm. I, yeah. it can't be an identity. It simply yeah. can't. It's like saying that everyone with asthma is the same, or you know, yeah. It's just too. It's just too mm. common. One in four increasingly looking like two in four. Um, that's not. That's not a decent sample for any kind of um, demographic. You know, you no. can't. Yeah. You can't do that. So I don't feel empowered about it, but I do feel empowered by people talking about their shit. Yes. yes. Yeah. I definitely do. It's Love so hearing about your shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the book is not a book about depression. It's a beautifully written book yeah. written by someone who has depression. And it's great. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Loved it. Well, I'm, I'm halfway through. It might, it might turn to shades of grey by the end. I hear bad things about <laughs> the earth. My mental bad. health really no, falls it's, apart. It's <laughs> so, so beautifully written. I can't re- wait to read the rest of it. Um, it's a fantastic book. It's out on the 8th. And it's called I Never Said I Loved You by Rick Summerder. It's just, it, it's so cleverly written. I think you wear, I think you wear your intelligence and talent quite lightly when you're talking about it because it's not really about feelings. It's also about writing. It's, mm. a, it's, it's, a, it's a proper written book. Yes. It's not a confessional. No. It's, no. It's, it's prose. It's it's very lovely. Let's put um, a record on. Let's put a cheery record on because that'll cure everyone's depression. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Put a <laughs> Just smile, babe. Just yeah. smile. Take a nice bath. Get your girlfriends around. <laughs> Set the world to right. Self care. <laughs> Let's have a bit of ice cube. That was It Was A Good Day. Still here with Rick Samada, Sarah Morgan and Kate Sevilla. Um, got a couple of stories left. They're cheerier if you did a bit of a deep dive into <laughs> mental ill health with us. Um, before that record, we've got a couple of stories. OK, somebody go with one of the stories before I lose my temper with everyone involved. Right. Well, on Twitter, which always starts well, right? Um, and it, Jeff said. Stein tweeted and said, Several months ago, a couple we were friends with said they don't sleep on the same side of the bed every night night as in every night when they get into bed they don't know who will sleep on which side still blows my mind um as you these said, people have been people yeah. <laughs> just what how how do you function like where does your where's, stu- where's your stuff go? where's, where's your, your headphones stuff? where's your right yeah. where's your charger and also like not to be gross but like if you sweat in the night, like you're just laying in your partner's sweat patch, essentially. I just, there, I have so many, the no, so many Your questions. charger and your like, your vitamins or right. your the books you're not or reading. whatever it is are on one side of the bed. It's like, don't hot desk your bedroom. That's not a thing. It's <laughs> your stuff. It's just wrong. It's one of the, you know the film The Thing when they put the wire in the blood to see if someone's yeah. human or not. This is also that test. If you read that and go, oh no, that seems fine. We do that. You're not human. You're a replicant. No. And you're, you're, you're yeah, you need to go to prison. You have <laughs> your side. But do you sleep on the same side when you change beds? So if you're yes. in a hotel, yeah. So Absolutely. that's not about your stuff. That's about something else. What's that about? Yeah. Um, I would argue decency. that it's routine and comforting. And even when I wake up in the night in a hotel, I don't know where I am mm. anyway. So then have that couple to make the other side of mm. the bed. Mm. Uh, yes and no for me. I in a hotel setting, I don't always sleep on the same side, but I always really? sleep furthest from the door. Me too. Um, always oh. furthest and from I the door. I think it's consciously so. There's a human shield. Oh, so is this a murder thing? Down. <laughs> so my husband knows. As soon as we walk in a room, he knows which side I'll be on. I'm mm. always furthest from the oh, door. Oh, interesting. Oh, in to, our yeah. room, I'm closest to the door. Fear of the outside yeah. world. I need to have no, no one can sneak up me from behind if I'm in a corner. 
plus there's someone there you can yoink them in front of you if when the when the intruders yeah. burst through the when. door. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Rick, I don't want to criticise my husband, but if an intruder comes into my house, it'll be me who gets up and yeah. beats up the intruder, <laughs> not him. It's, it's not that. And he, he wouldn't mind me saying that. He would go, yes, absolutely, she yeah. you, you deal with it. Um, but but I think I need I, I need to not be in the line of mm. the outside oh, world. I always need to be furthest from it. So sometimes mm. that's the right, sometimes that's the left. Yes. If you're on your yeah. own, no. And I realise you're not as tall as the the because I, I just go diagonal if I'm on my own mm. in the hotel. Because do you go just, fully star shaped if you're yeah. alone? Yeah. Ooh, no, I kind of still stick to my same side, and also I can't sleep because I'm sure I'll be murdered. I I am now <laughs> I am now side curious though because <laughs> I sleep I sleep alone I now it's and nice. I have started switching. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes if I can't sleep, I'll sleep upside down in the bed. And I find oh, that helps. So um, switching things up. Moving Ooh. furniture You're definitely literally keeping works. things spicy mm. in the bedroom. With on my own, with myself. Yeah. <laughs> Routine is a killer. I, I agree with you. I think turning upside down is good. And I also think moving some furniture helps you sleep if you can't sleep. So sometimes, what? yes, Ooh. moving your pillow is a quick one. But if it's an ongoing issue, just like moving the bed over a bit or a chair really helps me. Getting like moving your bed over. Yeah. <laughs> I, d- I do think a bit of a switcheroo um, convinces you that something has changed and therefore yes. you have changed. Yeah. And you can now sleep. It doesn't make sense though. That should be disruptive. Yeah, yeah, I guess but so. But it is a real thing. I suppose if you're stuck in a rut with insomnia, you need to get out of the rut by making physical change or something. Yeah. Um, so is anyone in favour of the hot bedding? No. I feel like if this was the BBC, one of us would have to pretend well, to I'm be. I'm closest to You know, to it, they do yeah. that bias thing. I'm in favour of it. Oh, <laughs> I'm in favour of it. I know, it's times like these you need Sarah Vine to come in and just yeah. say yeah. the contrary bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it sounds great and not at all like they're monsters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also, Meghan Markle's the worst. Yeah, Meghan Markle probably sleeps on one yeah. side of the bed. <laughs> what a norm she is. <laughs> what a basic bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, moving on to the next thing that has enraged me in these uh, closing minutes of the show. Um, there was a viral video that's been here, there and everywhere. It drove me mad. It made me so angry and I, I couldn't bear to deal with the bros on Twitter telling me that I was taking it too seriously, so I didn't mention it. <laughs> yeah. um, so there was a viral video of... Um, a girl at her graduation ceremony picking up her certificate for her degree at the university. It was a master's at the University of Essex. So this huge, incredible achievement. Mm. She goes to pick up her certificate. Her boyfriend gets on stage, gets down on one knee and proposes to her before the entire student body and faculty. What a bastard. What an absolute um, bastard. I hate this story. Yeah. I hate this and math. I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hate this man. I hate I hate this man. I hate this story and I'm sorry if they're listening and they're really nice people. That went through me. They're not. <laughs> they're yeah. not. They're yeah, awful she people. Know. Who knows? He's not. He's, if she's left This him, is her fine. moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, she has worked like a dog to get to to get this masters. Mm. It's her moment. Mm-hmm. It's her it's a pinnacle of achievement for mm-hmm. her so far and this bloke owns the moment yep. mm. and requests her hand in marriage in front of her and I just, well, I'm, I'm repelled it's, it's not it. a request yeah. a public mm. proposal is not a it's request a it's a demand because yeah. Yeah. who's going to say no in that Absolutely. environment so yeah. how do we feel about public proposals generally <laughs> my husband knows that if had he ever done that which he never would not only would I say no I don't think I could go out with him no it would be over um, I hate them so much mm. I, I, it's never about it's never about 
the person being proposed to mm. it's never about the couple it's about look how fucking great i am because yeah. i did this whole thing and i i you know paid everyone in this tube carriage to sing like it's never about the person oh, it's about <laughs> it's about <laughs> usually it's broken out in hives it's Sally. usually about the man doing this because it's usually men yeah. <laughs> again Women usually do men do who do well, they do they do they're also the worst but yeah. a breed of woman who wants that instagram mm. video look at this i was so surprised yeah yeah they can be collusive in it yeah. but i think that idea you know of what? when they find each other those people that's fine they can marry each other but don't yeah. make us watch your stream. yes yeah. i'm just trying to get to the smoothie bar and you're yeah. with your flash mob. Well, can you imagine witnessing one i've got no oh, i did I, was in, I, I saw one open in westfield oh. uh, in West, when westfield used to have the champagne bar in the basement the one opposite oh. the bbc i saw someone propose to his girlfriend there champagne bar in westfield. violently it was nice just one like, for the you can literally yeah. smell the sort of cinnamon uh, pretzel store <laughs> like a couple of doors like it was and oh it was really and it was like two in the afternoon i was celebrating oh. i just sold a thing to the bbc so i was like i'll have a glass of champagne and i just watch this thing ruined <laughs> oh god rick samada something is just instinctively in my call telling me that you wouldn't dig someone proposing to you in public i don't know why i'm getting that vibe from you i just feel uh, like you wouldn't like it am i wrong uh no well no i think theatre is sort of the antithesis of what a relationship is about it's not for mm. other people it's about your it's about intimacy and it's about mm. wanting to go deeper with each other not about putting yourselves on show and sort of cre creating this artifice so I think it's sort of I think your marriage is doomed to fail from that very instant <laughs> To put it lightly, you're fucked. Rick depressive just said that. I don't know. <laughs> you're screwed. You're screwed. It's, and we're all going to die. Yeah, it's, it's hideous. No one should ever do it. And I, like, even the thought of my own husband proposing to me makes me feel queasy. I mean, literally, like, we had a chat on the phone about it. I mean, I'm an immigrant, so we had to move quickly and things didn't go <laughs> as um, uh, traditional as one would expect. But the thought of that, I just, no, it always feels about other people. Well, not it's about also quite yeah. controlling. Mm. Yeah. Right. As I she said, it's demand. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's, yeah. It's not just that it's embarrassing and unromantic and it's quite controlling. I find mm. it a bit sinister. <laughs> unless, somebody, unless, unless somebody has explicitly the police said, should be alerted <laughs> yes. yeah. this is the next yeah. like I am series someone just doing yeah. a public yeah. proposal unless, yeah. unless someone has explicitly expressed a desire yeah. for and that the, kind yeah. of yeah. theatre it might be some engineered yeah. thing yeah. Then, yeah. then the presumption is, is, is I find it a bit creepy Yeah, it's a matter for the police and your marriage <laughs> is a sham let's just be real <laughs> So we're against public proposals. Good. I mm. feel like we've done yeah. important work here. Yeah. yeah. What have we done? We've done. Well done we've done choke, sex choking, <laughs> public proposals, depression. Um, <laughs> all for it once. Part now we've got a party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to Rick Samada. He wrote, "I never said I loved you." It is out on the eighth. It's a beautifully, beautifully written book and an important book. Thank you, comedy writer Sarah Morgan. What have you got going on at the moment, Sarah? Oh God, all kinds of uh, exciting uh, secret projects, uh, but also my podcast the fear oh yes uh, which I, am, I, am, I am recording the, the fourth series of that at the moment and i talked to i decidedly just pointed at rick like i haven't just been sitting here going well obviously yeah it's a very <laughs> obvious guest it's, for it's, it, yeah. a, it's a podcast where i interview funny people about what they're scared of um and Ooh. it's yeah it's, i've done it myself it's, it's super super yeah. fun, fun and you can get that wherever you yeah. get podcasts um, right if you want to know my work stuff at sarah l morgan on twitter and Kate Severe is also just her name, aren't you? Yeah. On just, social just media. My name. And Rick, you're just your name, I think, as well. Uh, I'm What's the Matter? 
That's right. Aww. What's the matter? No. That's it. Do you think we should change that to something more professional? No, I don't It's a pretty good bet. gag, though. In the so yeah, so he's what's the matter on Twitter. Thank you all so much for being here. We'll see you in a few weeks, and we will play out with what will we play out? Psychedelic furs. Mm-hmm.